Hi, welcome to the 19th of our Reflections based on the Bible in One Year programme. Today's reflection covers the period from days 118 to 124, which some of you will have read quite a while ago, some of you maybe more recently, some of you might never have read it at all, might never have started. But you're all welcome to join in with this reflection and I pray that God will use it to bless you in some way. It covers a section towards the end of the, well, actually for the most part, it's all of Joshua and uh, the beginning of John. And today we're going to reflect on two quite different readings from this week, but which have a sort of common thread running underneath them. One of them is one of the better known stories from the life of Jesus, certainly for people who have been around church for most of their life. The other one, though, I doubt too many of us have thought much of it, if ever. You might not have even been aware it existed. We're going to consider an encounter Jesus had with a woman at the well in Samaria. But before that, we're going to look at a little episode towards the end of the book of Joshua on, in chapter 22, or day 122. Joshua is largely telling the story of how Israel conquered parts of what was the, called the Promised Land. A large chunk of the book, and indeed the readings which covered the period from days 118 to 122, or Joshua 13 to 21, so that's a whole eight chapters, nine chapters, show in great detail how the land was allotted to the tribes. And even with a map, that can just read like a whole load of names. But way back in the book of Numbers, we have another story about how the Reubenites, the Gadites, and some of the tribe of Manasseh, they had lots of cattle and they wanted to settle on the east of the Jordan. The land suited them there. And Moses at first was angry with them. He thought, you're just looking after yourselves. You're, you, know, you don't care about anyone else. You're going to abandon the rest of us and they're going to have to go over and fight for their land and you're going to be sitting there resting. And they said, no, 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 we'll cross the Jordan with them. We'll help the other tribes settle in their allotted land and then we'll return. And that was what they agreed. So for the most, although most of the Reubenites occupied the west side of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad and Manasseh settled on the east. And we reach the point towards the end of Joshua that they've done what they're going to do and they're setting off for home in Joshua 22. But on the way they stop and they build an altar. They don't really mean anything offensive by that. It's just designed to remind them and probably the other tribes that they all worship the same God. Maybe it's to be a reminder to the other tribes as much as to them that this Jordan shouldn't be a political division as well as a geographical or topographical one as well. So, but the other Israelites don't get it. So far as they were concerned, we already have a shrine. That's at Shiloh. Why do we don't, why do this lot need another one? Are they disrespecting us? And despite the fact that they have fought side by side throughout the whole rest of the book, so far as the others are concerned, who are these people setting themselves up as something better and went better than us? And from what seemed like a relatively trivial, even respectful gesture, they almost ascend into a civil war. It's only when it's all explained that things kind of settle down, when somebody listens and says, oh right, yeah, that's what's going on here. And they end up naming the altar a witness between us that the Lord is God. 
Then we come to Jesus in the Gospels, and he encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. Again, the geography means less to us than it would have meant to those who first read it when John wrote it. But while Samaria was on the direct route that Jesus took between Judea and Galilee, most Jews wouldn't have taken that route. They'd have taken a more circuitous route, which avoided the Samaritan regions. We're told that Jews and Samaritans don't get on. They hate each other. And one of the things that made Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan so shocking was that he was making a Samaritan the hero. But what was going on? They worshipped the same God. It was just that where they did it was a source of contention. On this occasion, it was more of a real difference rather than just a perceived one. Jews worshipped in a temple in Jerusalem. Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim. This rose above the valley where Moses blessed the 12 tribes of Israel. And after the Babylonian exile, the Samaritans had built a temple there to rival the one in Jerusalem. And amongst a load of other stuff, this division comes up in Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. She says, Sir, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors used to worship on this mountain, but you Jews say we've got to go to Jerusalem to worship. But Jesus ultimately points out that physical location, well, it's not that important. And the true worshippers will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, that, you know, there's a place for theological debate. But you know what? You could tick off every box, but not truly be worshipping with your heart. The evidence for that will be in how you live, how you love. We don't have time to go deep into this passages, but it reminded me how quickly different Christians can jump to conclusions about each other. Adrian Plass tells a story of a child who stuck her thumb into her mouth one day when she was on a train. And as she stuck her thumb into her mouth, the train entered a tunnel. And when she pulled her thumb out, the train came out of the tunnel. And so she stuck her thumb in her mouth and the train went dark. She pulled her thumb out and the train went light. And she thought that there was a connection between the two. And spent the rest of the journey putting her thumb in and out of her mouth, trying to recreate what she'd just done. And Platlas Plas lamented that some of our church divisions have emerged on less evidence. And it's true, we humans are great at dividing ourselves into us and them. And sadly, almost 2,000 years from Jesus' prayer for unity within his church, we're still capable of it, even as Christians. We can look at some of the things other people do in their worship and think of some of the ways and practices they might have and think, wouldn't want anything to do with that. Some dismiss more ritualistic worship and think that's just going through the motions. Others think of more charismatic stuff that's just whipping up a fervour. We can misunderstand other people's worship and think we've got it so right and they've got it so wrong. Churches have split and wars have been fought over these kind of issues. But in reality, God has made us all different and different practices will be helpful to different people. And whilst we believe that there is only one mediator between God and man and that that is Jesus, the ways in which that relationship will be meaningfully developed will vary widely. We are made differently. And perhaps if we took time to understand one another's traditions from someone who follows that approach, we might come to see that the truth of those traditions and how it might even benefit us in some way. 
For my for many years for my years on the spiritual direction course, one of the things that I encountered that best was the most the richness of other people's traditions, stuff of which I was largely unaware previously. But what Jesus wants of us is to worship in spirit and in truth, to allow his spirit to connect with us, to lead us to the truth, to direct our lives. And if we just loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and loved our neighbours as ourselves, in time we would see those other divisions come into their proper perspective. What's helpful for you might not be helpful for me. That doesn't necessarily make it wrong. And provided people genuinely seek to love God and love their neighbour, then I should respect how they seek to express their relationship with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the rich diversity of your church, but we also thank you for the unity we have in the Holy Spirit. We can create all sorts of divisions amongst ourselves, some real, some more perceived, often misunderstood. Help us to recognise what really matters, to worship in spirit and in truth, and keep all the rest in perspective, and love one another as you called us to. Amen. Grace and peace be with you.